Father, there are times where words just can, they can escape us. And at those times, we join with what your word tells us others are already doing. And we worship you. We worship you directly from the pages of your story. God, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy. And we join with the, the, the crazy creatures around the throne singing that, holy, holy, holy. God, would you grab our hearts, grab them in a way that uh, perhaps they've never been grabbed before or grab them in a way that you grab them every day. And we worship you. Not just us in this building, but the choirs that are going in heaven. Thank you that you allow us to be part of that. You are holy, holy, holy. You were, you are, and you will be. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You know, you can tell a lot from a company by what they say they value. You can tell even more from a company by whether or not they live out what they say they value. You going to put me right here in the middle? I figure I'm the tallest, I get the biggest stool. Oh, I figured I was going to sit, because you're the tallest, and I was going to sit next to you. I don't like being shorter than you. <laughs> they are nice stools. You know, what's funny is I told them I was going to pray, and then they were going to come up while I pray. I actually will pray again. <laughs> we're already up. You're already up. Don't leave. Uh, no, no, no. Don't leave. Don't leave. You... <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to start again, or we're going to continue. No, stay there. Stay there. <laughs> You can, you can tell a lot by a company by what they say they value, and you can tell even more about a company by whether or not those people who work at that company live out what they say they value. That was a mouthful. Did you, did you follow it? You can tell a lot by a company by what they say they value. You can tell even more about a company by whether or not they live out what they say they value. Okay? I've got six values here from a global company that my guess is every single one of us has rubbed shoulders with at some point. And I'm going to read these values. I want you to think about what company they might, that might be. And we're going to see if you can figure it out by just listening to their values. Okay? Six values. Creating a culture of warmth and belonging where everyone is welcome. Acting with courage. Challenging the status quo. Being present. Connecting with transparency, dignity, and respect. Delivering our very best in all we do. Holding ourselves accountable for results. And number six, we are performance-driven through the lens of humanity. Any guesses what company that is? <laughs> if you didn't know, Heather used to work at Starbucks. <laughs> which is good that she knows their core values. When you walk into Starbucks, do you experience some of those? 
Yeah, to a degree. I mean, pretty good for a company that focuses on serving coffee, although their president would disagree with me. He would say they are a people company that serves coffee. There's a pastor by the name of Rick Rouse out of Akron, New York. Uh, pastors of Free Methodist Church there. He's our regional cohort coach. He told us a story this past uh, January, February that really stuck with me. He said he had a young lady who came into his church for the first time, first time visitor, never been in church, never been around people who love Jesus, completely like new to the whole experience. And she came up to him afterwards and said, I'm here from now on. I want to be a part of this. Now, Rick was a little bit surprised. He's like, well, how do you know? Because he, he knew her from the community. How can you be so sure? Well, she says, I've been watching you people. And when some of your people invited me to come, I decided to get on your website and figure out what you're all about. And I got to your values. And I realized that the people that invited me, they're living what you say you value. And I was just hoping when I got here that I would experience the same thing. And she says, I did. I mean, that might be the best compliment that church could ever receive that they are actually living out what they say they value. We're in a five-week series that we're calling Discover Us, and we're asking the questions, why do we exist? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? Now, why do we exist? We exist to love people, love God, love people, and make disciples. Where are we going? We want to be church for our neighbors. And how are we going to get there? We're going to gather for worship, grow in relationship, and go on mission. Now, what values will guide us? And we spent time, a couple of months, as a leadership wrestling with that. And we know that there's probably 70, 80, 90 values that a church could say, this is, this is what we want to be driven by. Well, we narrowed it down to seven. And we actually changed the language from values to commitments. Our leadership felt that, that values, you know, they're really strong up here. But commitments, that, that, that paints the picture of we actually have to do this. We're committed to making sure this happens. So we've got seven commitments, seven core commitments that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. Uh, Jason and Elena and I are going to share these, and uh, we've, we've paired them up in ways that we think make sense, and yet none of them, you know, there's no specific order to them. So seven core commitments, and uh, my goal would be that once we share these, that we would be able to say, yeah, we're living those, and if we're not, we would start living those so that people outside could say, wow, you really do live out what you say you're committed to living out. I'm going to sit and I'm going to pray again for our time, and then uh, we're going to get going. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that we can be a family of faith that enjoys each other. I thank you that we can learn what it means to worship together and that we can join with Oh, God, not just the angels in heaven, but the churches around the globe who are worshiping you today. God, I thank you for the way you have made First Church, uh, this unique group of people, this group of sojourners who are figuring out what it means to be the church, to be a body of believers. God, I thank you for the wrestling that, that has taken place uh, on our leadership level over these, the first five months of this year, six months of this year. And I, I thank you for the direction you are calling us to. And Lord, now as we talk about what we feel you have called us to be committed to, I ask that you would open our ears and our, our, our hearts to help us to see that this is, this is from you. God, this isn't things that we picked out as our personal favorite commitments, but things that you have said, First Church, I want you to be about this. 
So would you help us to hear from you this morning? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, seven core commitments, and we're going to start with prayer. Elena's going to take us away. All right. Uh, yes. Is one of the first things that we as um, a leadership body identified as something that, that we value, um, but also that we are committed to uh, here at First Church, both individually and corporately. Um, so 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I, I, it can't be much clearer than that. God's will for us, among other things, is to pray continually. Well, what does that look like? Prayer is a two-way conversation. It connects us to God. And it allows us to hear from him as well. And one of our primary goals as Christians should be to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Um, prayer is one way that, that that happens in our lives. But it's also um, following the, the example of Jesus. He consistently modeled the importance of prayer, um, both for his disciples, uh, his small group of people around him, but also for the people watching, um, the outsiders, the, the world around him. Uh, so when we, when we make prayer a priority, we're following in those footsteps. Prayer was what he did when, when Jesus needed to recharge his batteries, when he needed to reconnect with the Father. It was what he did when he needed to cry out to God. And uh, we see that in the garden uh, before he was crucified crying out to the Lord. And we know that the disciples viewed Jesus as um, an authority on prayer because they came to him and said, teach us how to do this. And that's what, what we need to be doing too. We need to be going to Jesus and saying, how do we do this? We're committed to praying. We want to learn from you. When we pray, we express ourselves in lots of different ways. Um, there are prayers um, that don't always necessarily look like prayers. You can be praying, riding down the, the street on your bike. You can be praying, uh, standing in the line at the grocery store, or doing the laundry, or sitting at your desk at work. It doesn't always just look like sitting in a chair on Sunday morning uh, in a service with your hands folded and your head bowed. You don't even actually have to close your eyes to pray. That's Surprising? I know. Yeah, don't do that. Don't close your eyes when you're praying in the car. Um, <laughs> that might go under the distracted driving law. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the scriptures give us lots of examples of, of different kinds of prayer and um, prayer in different locations. The Psalms are an ex an, just an amazing example of prayer, um, all different kinds of prayer. The psalmists prayed... Um, when they were angry and when they were hurting and when they were rejoicing. And those are all appropriate times for us to pray as well. Jesus taught about praying, um, going into your closet and praying in secret uh, instead of making big flowery prayers for, for everyone to, to impress other people. And Jesus also interceded on behalf of others. That was one kind of prayer. He in the book of John, um, in chapter 17, 
he prayed for his disciples, and then he also prayed for every person who would ever believe in him. He prayed for us. That overwhelms me sometimes. Sorry, this is not something to cry about. Um, <laughs> Paul showed an emphasis on prayer in his letters. He talked about praying for the people that he was writing to, but he also talked about, he, he asked them to pray for him as well. Um, he prayed with thanksgiving and joy, and he prayed for the unique circumstances that were going on in each city of the people. Just one's probably good, honey. Thank you. <laughs> he prayed for people in all the cities that, that he had contact with. Um, very specifically for each of them. And he, he also, just like Jesus, modeled intercessory prayer. Um, he told his, his readers to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So what is that? How does that translate for us? We've stated that prayer is a core commitment, so we need to be bearing that out in our lives as a congregation and also as individuals. If prayer is our lifeline to God and we're not doing it, then we will soon be dying. That's how that works. We can pray, like I said, in lots of different ways and many different occasions. We can and we will continue to make prayer an important part of our worship services together. We can be praying on our own and modeling our prayers after the prayers that we find in the scriptures. We can be praying with one another whenever we gather together, even if it's just two people together. We should be praying for ourselves, but we also should be praying for the needs of others, interceding for people that we know who need prayer, like when we get uh, a prayer chain message. Um, but we should also be interceding for our neighbors and for our city, for our, for our country, for our leaders, and for our world. And we can pray prayers of despair and anger and frustration and thanksgiving and joy. And God can take it all. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. Romans chapter 8 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So even when we don't know what to pray, we can still pray. So uh, let's be, as a community, working together to make this uh, something that we live out as a, co a commitment for our church and for ourselves individually. Very good. Core commitment, prayer. Next one we're going to talk about, stewardship. I just realized I'm, I'm the most senior member up here. That is frightening. And for those of you that helped me in my childhood, you should really feel old. Did you see? Yeah, you are. Did you see Pastor James's socks? 
Look at that. Mrs. Craze, you need to be wearing these socks that go with your jacket. Holy cow. Isn't October breast cancer awareness, or isn't it? I think it is. Is that why you're wearing those socks? Oh, I thought it was because it matches your tie. Oh, look at you. Hey, uh, most of you in this room are old enough uh, to remember, but before we went to the gender-neutral term of flight attendant, what were those people called? Stewardesses, or if it was a male, steward. Uh, I like that word. I like that word of, of steward or stewardess because it really, the definition of that is one who is a steward, stewardship, which is what we're talking about is another one of those commitments that we say this is what God is calling us to be about. So I looked up the definition. The definition of stewardship is the conducting, supervising, or managing of something especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Oh, I like that. When I'm stuck in a metal tube hurtling 500 miles an hour, I want to be entrusted into someone's care. I don't just want to be attended to. I want to be cared about and managed. So I like that imagery. But we are talking about being stewards. And what does that mean for us? Well, it's still that same definition, the careful management of what is entrusted into your care. Now, throughout the Bible, we are called to this idea of being stewards, stewardship, of being responsible with what is entrusted to our care. I, I mean, think of the stories with me. Even the first verses of the book of Genesis, God says to the first man and woman, be stewards of all that I've created. Or if we flip a few books, Moses. Moses was really put in a position to be a steward of the people of Israel. These people were entrusted to him on their sojourn through the desert. And sometimes he did great and sometimes not his best day. Well, I guess that happens when we're stewards because I've met some stewardesses and stewards that won their best day. And sometimes maybe I'm not always the best steward. But God was called, called Moses. Uh, let's flip even to the New Testament. Of course, Jesus, our great example of a steward, of, of stewardship. Think of it. Jesus was entrusted with the people in his circle, and really, we could say to all of us still today, even as you say, he prayed for us. And Jesus was responsible to care for them in very practical ways. I mean, he fed them. He healed them. He restored sight to the blind. He restored life to the dead. And then ultimately was responsible for those entrusted to him by paying the sin penalty on the cross that all of us are subject to but could never pay on our own. I was thinking then also of some of Jesus' parables, his, his teachings where he uses a, a story, an illustration from life, and how many of them really are about stewardship, about being responsible for what is entrusted to you. 
I'm not going to read them, but you may recognize some of the titles, the, the parable of the, of the ten aminas or, or the talents, you know, the guys who buried the money and some were good, some weren't so good stewards. Or the shrewd manager. Now, that's a, a parable of a, of a guy who was a poor steward, but pretty clever, trying to protect his own neck. Uh, or, or in the Gospel of Luke, we get three rapid-fire stewardship messages about the lost son, the lost coin, the lost lamb, all examples of caring for that which is entrusted to us. The parable of the rich fool, of, of the wise and the foolish builders, of the good Samaritan, the parable of the sower and the seed that is scattered, some to produce a good crop and some not. So I'm getting the, the sense that stewardship is really a heartbeat of God's. We didn't just make these commitments up on our own because they look good on a T-shirt. They all come from Scripture, and they are God's heartbeat for his people. And so we, as the people of First Free Methodist Church, are called to this commitment of stewards, of being responsible caretakers for that which is entrusted to us. Well, Jesus just got downright explicit with it. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me in Mark, Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, a, a teacher of the religious law comes up to Jesus, and we see this throughout the New Testament. They were really trying to trap him and trick him in his words by getting everybody fired up at him. And, and to give you the context, you remember in the, the Jewish tradition, they had enumerated hundreds of different commandments. Of course, we all know the Big Ten, but they had ranked them all down as to, as to how you were to live. And so it was often a question of what's the most important commandment. So they were testing Jesus with this. This dude says, what's the most important commandment? And if you look at verse 30 in Mark 12, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, this was not new to Jesus. This, this goes clear back to the opening pages of the book. And then verse 31, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus, who lived his life as an example of a steward, Jesus, who in his stories and his teaching taught us what it is to be a responsible caretaker of what is entrusted to us, he comes right out and echoes those Jewish commandments and says this is the most important. You love God with all that you are and all that you've got, and you love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't separate those. He couldn't say there's just one. He said the second is just as important. Make it like a, a 1B, if you will. But he said that we are to love God with all that we are, all that we have, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I, I, to me, that's just a, a way of encompassing all that I am and all that I got. And we love God with that. Well, how do you love God with that? By being responsible with it. By being a good steward of who I am and what I have. But I've read this passage dozens of times. But this week, the Holy Spirit really helped me to see it with fresh eyes, that stewardship is not just that vertical component of loving God with all that I am and all that I have. That's why Jesus said the second is just as important. There is a 
horizontal component to stewardship that I think we often neglect when we talk about stewardship. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in a very real way, I'm entrusted with the people around me. And am I going to be a good steward or a poor steward with my neighbors? I mean, what, what, what was it we talked about a couple weeks ago? We are church for our neighbors. Bam. We're responsible for the people in our lives. Now, ultimately, they are individually responsible for their choices. We all know that. But I am responsible to be a steward, to care well with all that I am, all that I got, and all the people that are in my life. Well, what does that include? We say it often. Hopefully, we believe it and live it out. Nothing in life is mine. I'm just a steward for a short span of history of what God has entrusted to me. That's pretty much everything. All that I am, all that I got, and all the people around me. So will I be a responsible steward or a careless steward? What are some of those things, and how does that play out? I mean, usually uh, when we're having a stewardship message, we enumerate the big three, you know, our time, talents, and, and possessions. But let's look at that, our time. For many of us in this day and age, time is our most precious commodity. Does the way that I use my time point lovingly to, to God or neglectfully away from him. Now, that doesn't mean we have to all become monks and nuns and live on some rock outcropping where all we do is spend 24 hours a day in prayer. But God says, I've given you 24 hours in this day. How are you going to be responsible with it? How are you going to demonstrate love for me and love for others with this time? And then our abilities, our skills, sometimes we call them uh, uh, our talents. God has given all of us unique abilities, skills, gifts. If you were a part of the Discover You seminar this summer, and it's going to be continuing, there's another session next week. I try to do that every month. Um, you know that we talked in there, we said that uh, every person is a minister, every task is important, and every person can contribute something. Uh, that was in the context of how we at First Church, th this is not a spectator event. You don't come here just to be entertained and to leave. We come because we're family, we're a body, and we say that every person can do something because every person has been entrusted by God with abilities, skills, and talents. Now, we're not going to compare with one another. We're not going to covet or envy somebody else's abilities because God has put us together as unique parts. I can do some things you probably don't want to, and you can definitely do some things better than I can. And so when we come together, it's this beautiful image of the body working with one another 
but only if we'll be responsible stewards with what God has given to us. What if your hand said, eh, not so much today, not going to do it? Well, you're in a world of hurt. And so with those special abilities, talents, skills, am I going to love God and others with them? Not so much. And then our possessions. You know, and this is often why people don't like coming to church because when we have a stewardship message, they figure, oh, they just want my money. I don't give a rip about your money. But God wants us to love him with all we are and all we got and love people with it. So I, I think, you know, sometimes we think, well, how do I get rich by, by holding on to what I have? But I think the wise steward, God is really calling us to hold all that we are, all that we have with an open hand. If we say, yeah, it's God's anyhow. He's just entrusted it to me for this season. How am I going to be responsible with it? And that means lots of things. I mean, it means taking good care of your car so that you get the most out of it. That's stewardship. It's about planning and preparing for your family. It's about being generous with those in need. It's about honoring God with with our tithe and, and extravagant giving beyond that. Because again, it's not mine. I'm just, I, 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 I'm just God's money manager for the moment, if you will. And he says, you're going to love me and others with all that you are, all that you've got. And then this other one, our neighbors. Again, an insight for me of being a steward for those around us, whether that's your family or the kids that God has entrusted to you, the person who lives across the street, the coworker across the aisle, or the friend across the world. I bear some responsibility for caring for those folks. And I think we do that with our time, our talents, our possessions, our love. We love God in part by how we love other people. And we as a church say that is who God is calling us to be. We didn't say that's exactly who we are. I didn't look in the mirror and say, ooh, I'm the best steward. I said, ooh, that's a dirty mirror. I need to clean that, actually. But this is who God is calling us to be. This is the vision that we're living into. It's the filter through which we want to look at our world. Am I going to be a responsible caretaker with what God has entrusted to me today to love him and to love others? That's my desire. And I was a poor steward of time, so Pastor James has none. So if you'd rise for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you and smile upon you. Go have a cookie. <laughs> All right, pop quiz. We're talking about commitments this morning. Uh, we're going to see if you can remember the two that we've talked about so far. Really setting you guys up here for success. The, teacher, the teachers in the house are loving it right now. We are committed as a church. Elena talked about this. To do what? Pray. To be committed to prayer. Very good. Very good. Uh, J- an open book test. He put the answer up there. Oh, well done, well done. Second commitment, Jason talked about it. As a church, we are committed to stewardship. Final thing for today that we're committed to, Scripture, the Bible. 
We're inspired by God's story, and we believe it's true. We apply God's story to our regular daily lives. We're inspired by God's story, and we believe it's true. We apply God's, God's story to our regular daily lives. You know, there are, there are books that we read that it is really easy to put ourselves into. Okay, Chronicles of Narnia, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, um, Hardy Boys books, or Nancy Drew books, Swiss Family Robinson. You read books like this, and, and it's easy to transport yourself into the story, right? You're reading it, and you find yourself there. Well, the difference between books like that and books like this is we believe this is true. We believe the stuff that happened in here actually happened. We, we believe it's God's revelation of himself. It's God saying, this is who I am in connection with you guys. And that's why on any given Sunday, whoever is speaking up here, the goal is for them to be driven by Scripture. Driven by Scripture. Yes, there's going to be some personal stories told. There might be an occasional video that's shown. But ultimately, the story that we want to be telling is this story. We don't want to, we don't want to have some other fantastic story that we interject a verse or two just to make a point with. But we want to tell this story. I was so convicted of this when I first started preaching on a regular basis that I decided to color code my messages. And I would put the, the scripture in yellow and green, and I would put quotes from uh, other people outside of scripture in purple, and, and any, any stories that were told outside of scripture in blue. And I could tell just by looking at the message whether or not it was driven by the ultimate story that we want being told. Now, believe it or not, Jesus did the same thing, minus the color coding bit. Okay, he was driven by Scripture when he preached. We see this in Luke chapter 4 in, in his first in front of a church type of sermon. It says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and following. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read, Dr. Seuss? He stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled it and found the place where this was written. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, because most of us haven't memorized all of the Old Testament, we may not know that that's a direct quote from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah chapter 58. Well, Jesus then, it says, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Then all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and he began to speak to them. He said, the scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. See, he was driven by scripture. In, in the 13 verses prior to that, we know the story of Jesus' temptation, right? Satan took him to the wilderness, and he, and he tempted him with three different things. And after each of the three different temptations, Jesus responded. First words out of his mouth was, well, I heard a story about a guy who faced a similar situation once. Isn't that how he responded? No. First words out of his mouth after every temptation was, the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say. The Scriptures say Jesus was inspired by God's story. So much so, he believed it was true so much so that he was willing to apply it to what he was going through that day. And that's why the second part of our, of our commitment says not only do we believe the Bible's true and that we're inspired by a story, but we want to apply it to our everyday lives. We don't stop by being inspired and encouraged. We, we don't leave here saying, ah, good story. 
No, we leave trying to figure out how do we put that into practice. As I was thinking about this, I, th- I thought of Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. More than a fun story, this is a guide. This is a light. I think we've all been in, in times where there's been a, a power outage. Or maybe we've gone camping, right? When the sun goes down, it gets dark. And unless you have a headlamp, unless you have a flashlight, you stub toes. You step on branches. You tear your, your clothes. Well, similarly in life, unless we have a guide, unless we have something that is helping point our compass in the right direction, there's going to be pain. There's, well, there's going to be pain whether we have that or not, but um, there's going to be a little bit more pain that's prevalent. We may get lost more easily. We may end up going in circles. With this, we at least have the story of God saying, hey, I'm there with you, and, and this is the way you should be going, whether it's good or not. So Scripture is our guide. And when we can apply it to what we're going through in everyday life, that's when it becomes real. I mean, if you're having relationship problems, you want to know what, how, to, how to treat a certain relationship, it's in here. You want some guidance on how to raise your kids, it's in here. You're questioning whether or not you should invest money in a certain thing. How you handle your finances, it's in here. You want to know how much time to play Xbox and whether or not to kneel during the national anthem? Well, we don't have a verse specifically for that, but we've got an entire story about God's heart and what breaks his heart and where we put our passion. So it answers even those tougher things that we're going through today in 2017. It's in here. God's word is extremely applicable, sometimes in ways that we may not even think of. Okay, I saw this lived out last week at uh, OTG, On the Ground. Our small group serves downtown uh, with our friends without homes. And I was talking to one gentleman in line, and I get this tug on his shirt. Hey, hey, they're about to fight, they're about to fight. So I turned around, I see two guys who were getting kind of heated. So I stepped in between them, and we just solved it really quick. One guy was named Caesar, the other guy was named, nicknamed Preacher. Interestingly enough, Right? Well, so we got a handle. They both got their hot dogs. Caesar went across the street. I thought he left. Preacher went back to, to his wife, and they were eating their hot dogs. They came back through for seconds. And 30 minutes later, he comes up to me, and he, he's telling me, man, that guy over there has been across the street the entire time. He's been, you know, talking at me. Man, I'm normally a calm guy, but I started getting, you know, I started getting angry, and I started walking over there, and I was going to fix it. But then I grabbed my Bible, he says, and I started quoting Scripture. He says, I realized after that it's not worth seven months in jail. God's word was applied. That's Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. God says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Now, we may not think that just holding this may prevent us from starting a fight, but that's because we're not used to that culture. It will produce fruit. God's word went out and accomplished what was needed at that moment. The Bible, we are committed to this. We're inspired by the story. We believe it's true, and we want to to apply it to our daily lives. So how does this look for us? Well, as a church, we can promise uh, that for the times you got people standing up here talking, that that we will do all we can to preach this story. And we will tell you that any growth group that we start, any children's ministry that we run, any relationship that we encourage, we're going to encourage the centrality of Scripture in those different ministries. 
Several times throughout the year as individuals, we may say, hey, over the next six weeks, we're going to read this, this passage, these passages of Scripture together. Read it on your own, and then we're going to talk about that. An email went out this past week talking about uh, something we're starting tomorrow called The Blitz. If, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, it's because you don't check your email, or it's because you're not on the midweek, and that's okay. We're going to read, those who are involved in this are going to read the rest of the New Testament, minus the four Gospels, every day, about two chapters a day, and once a week, they're going to shoot an email to this group that says, here's what stood out, and here's how I'm going to apply it. It's putting into practice this commitment that we have to Scripture. You know, I started by saying there's books that it's easy for us to put ourselves into, right? Chronicles of Narnia, Swift Family Robinson, those ones. We get into those and we're there and it's fantastic. And then the chapter ends or the book ends and we're back to reality. Well, here's another difference. This is reality. We believe that we do fit in here and we don't have to leave this story. This isn't just some narrative that we're reading. This is a narrative that we believe we are a part of. And that's why... As a leadership, we said this has got to be one of our core commitments. It's like three weeks in a row you've raised your hand. Yes, Madonna. Email or computer access. Yes. And, and there, there are cards in the back if you want to take part in Blitz. In the reading portion, there's cards in the back. It looks like a little football. Thus the term blitz. Sound fair? There's cards in the back, yeah. I'll show you. Or Carly's going to grab one and come show you. little football in the back. Yeah. It is now. She's going to come out. She's going to wave the card. Um, the, the big part of this, of this specific blitz adventure is that online communication back and forth. Uh, we're not saying this is for everybody because everybody, I mean, different people are in different groups. They're already in Scripture. They're already talking to other people about it. This is just one more opportunity that we're giving, one more example of ways we can be in Scripture on an everyday basis. Carly, good job. That's what today's Blitz readings look like. And they're on there. You're welcome to take a card in the back. We will send a new one out each week. Yeah. Thank you, Carly. All right. Be a good steward of the paper. If you're not planning on doing it, don't take a piece. Uh, three core commitments, three of our seven that we have talked about today. Prayer, stewardship, and the Bible. It's all part of who we are where we're going, and how we're going to get there. And ideally what happens is we are living these things out to such a degree that somebody who has no experience with Jesus sees these and says to themselves, I want to be part of their story. Because what the story that we're living out is the story of Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? You've heard three different commitments. I encourage you, make an application from one of these this week and then do that. Put it into practice. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to share uh, what we believe is your heart with your body. I thank you that you have guided us, Lord, 
uh, down to seven core commitments, recognizing that we could have so many more. But Lord, if we could live these out in such a way that people see them, and when they walk in our doors, they could say, you live out what you claim to be committed to, God, we would give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. Help us to do that as best as we can this week. We will praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing holy, 